0: Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast. As always, I'm so glad you're here. I could not and would not continue to do this podcast without everyone who listens to it on a regular basis, who subscribes, who rates and reviews it where they can, who shares it with their friends, who reaches out on LinkedIn or email to tell me that something specific resonated with them or asks me a question. I really appreciate that back and forth. It helps affirm that I'm not just talking to myself into a microphone. I mean, I am, but (laughs) that people are listening eventually. And also that this is helpful, that it's a useful way to spend my time as well as for you guys too. I'm very aware that you're taking time out of your day, or at least you're choosing this podcast over another one to listen to while you're walking your dog or commuting or working, whatever it is. So thanks to all of you. It's been almost exactly a year since I launched Fraudology and I genuinely wasn't sure if I could do it on my own or if anyone would listen. So thank you so much for just affirming that this is helpful to you guys. And I continue to ask for feedback. Some of the things I'd love to know is, you know, do you like solo episodes where I deep dive on a specific topic like today's podcast, or do you prefer interviews like last week with Frank McKenna, who writes on the Frank on Frog blog, or he actually owns the Frank on Frog blog. That would be helpful as well as just knowing what do you guys want to hear? Who do you want me to interview? What topics would you like me to cover? I mean, I do my best, but kind of looking at the landscape and knowing what questions are being asked most at a specific week or something like that. But it's always helpful to know what you need to know. I don't know what you don't know. And I guess you don't always know what you don't know either, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Between all of us, I think we can just continue to sustain the content on this podcast. And it's really become a labor of love and really fun for me just to have an outlet to talk this stuff out. So thank you again for listening and for your support. I just really appreciate it. We got a lot of good feedback on the last two episodes. I really focused on demonstrating your value or helping, you know, share some tactics and some tips I've learned from watching a lot of different leaders within their organizations be able to demonstrate their value. And once they're able to demonstrate their value, the value of either them specifically or the team or the value of fraud prevention, that really helps with so many other aspects, like I mentioned, right? So you're often asked to consult on new marketing tactics or marketing strategies, I should say. You're asked to weigh in on new product offerings or other people start to think, oh, maybe this is fraud. Maybe I should send it to the fraud team. Also, I really still like the idea of changing the name of the fraud team from fraud prevention to something like revenue recovery or revenue protection. I think revenue protection is what I've said. And I've heard from a few people who have said they've already started that process because they do feel like that's more of a positive spin and also really better defines we do, at least in enterprise e-commerce. If you're listening to this podcast, generally you're in enterprise e-commerce fraud prevention or you work for a solution provider that supports them. However, I've heard from a lot of different people who some of them just like to listen to what's going on or to learn about this industry or are work for smaller companies that don't have the scale that enterprise fraud companies have, but it impacts smaller companies so much more, right? And one $10,000 fraud chargeback for the stolen credit card or whatever type of fraud it is can really impact a smaller business more than it does the biggest companies. But fraud is fraud, and it is something that is always going to be there. And so we really need to adapt. And I think that's why it's so important to just continue to share information. Obviously, this is a public platform. So I try to be uh, very conscious about what I share and what I don't share. A lot of people just assume because I talk a lot that I'm an open book. But if you know me personally, you know that I keep a lot of secrets. I am a lockbox and I'm proud of that because it means that I've gained a lot of people's trust that way. And that is pretty awesome. It also allows me to learn the juicy details of what's going on behind the scenes, which is fun as well. But mostly it's because I really enjoy cross-pollinating information. And I'm glad that most or all companies understand that I can't share where it came from, but it can still, that information can be used. So also on the last podcast episode with Frank, we brought up refund fraud again, and this is something that I've discussed throughout several episodes. And we had a really pretty comprehensive podcast episode on it. Actually it was episode four, like last year. So it was pretty early on. And a lot has changed, but also a lot hasn't changed since then. Kind of both. So I think what's really changed the most is it's impacting more companies than ever. And I think e-commerce companies are starting to realize that this is a fraud issue. For the longest time, and rightfully so retailers especially thought well this must be a supply chain issue we must be having issues with our shipping carriers if we're having so many customers claim that they didn't get their item or maybe we have a problem in customer service with how many refunds are being issued and so they've tried to you know diagnose it in different ways and once i stumbled upon it i realized that i needed to sound the fire alarm as much as i could so i pitched this topic to Several of the conferences that asked me to speak in the last year, I've you know written a few articles for cardnotpresent.com on this topic. I was, if you listened to the episode a few weeks ago that I uh, worked with a journalist at the Wall Street Journal to... Uh, be quoted and contribute to an article on refund fraud. It was very general and high level, but it still is something that I feel like people just need to know is going on. That's the first step of being able to solve it. Understanding what's actually happening. And I think there's several big problems with refund fraud, but that's one of the biggest is that it's really hard to diagnose. It doesn't result in chargebacks. You can't just run a report. It hides in plain sight with other legitimate refunds that had to happen. Some customers genuinely aren't getting their packages or they're getting stolen from their porch, which is a controversial issue on whether merchants should cover that or not. But that is another topic for another time. But yeah, so it's just been something that is misunderstood. And again, if you don't understand the root of the problem, if you don't admit the problem, if you don't understand it, you can't solve it. So that's become my mission. And... Even though I've sprinkled information about it throughout different episodes, I felt like it was important to just share a lot to catch you up to speed, especially if you aren't aware of this. So who it impacts the most right now is retailers and delivery companies, especially food delivery. So whether it's groceries or takeout from restaurants, those sectors are being hit the most. However, there are other areas like digital goods and others who have had many attempts. In some cases, like in event ticketing or in travel, they have no refund policies. So a policy of no refunds, it makes it challenging for people to get away with, but they still try. Uh, And I do predict that it will expand into other verticals just like Account Takeover did when it started in online gaming and in banking and in gambling, and then it just spread like wild. So backing up a little bit, I often get asked how I learned about it or how I got involved. And just like how I got into credit card fraud prevention, the prevention part is very important. And I feel like I don't always mention that. Side note, I was having a funny conversation with a client not too long ago, and they said, How come people say they're in fraud? Isn't that fraud prevention? He said, Police don't say I'm in crime. (laughs) And then Continued on right, like doctors don't say I'm in sickness or I work on on death. Kind of funny that we just abbreviate it to oh, I work in fraud. <laughs> I often have to say prevention. I'm not committing it. So anyway, getting back the train back on the tracks. I actually very first learned about this from my previous podcast co-host for the online podcast Brett Johnson. He's a former cyber criminal, and when he first spoke at CMP in 2017, I believe. I wanted him to talk about like what he sees next on the horizon. And to give him credit, he was beating the refund fraud drum way before anyone else I'd ever heard. And that's because he was starting to see the signs and the tea leaves on different chats and criminal forums about how easy it was to steal electronics, especially from the top five of the biggest retailers going on, or I was going to say in the U.S., but really worldwide. I don't think it's a secret. There are several articles written about it that Amazon was a big target at first to give them credit. They've put a lot of things in place to slow it down. I can't say that it's all the way stopped, but they've definitely made it so that it's not as desirable and it's not as easy for someone to call and say, oh, I didn't get the package or I just got an empty box or it was damaged. The laptop battery was leaking. People know that if I should say refunders know, not everyone knows this, that if uh, there's a leaking lithium battery, any claim of it at all, often that you can't send it back through the mail. So for a while, electronics companies would just send out another one or sometimes they would offer a refund. But in this case, criminals can get two laptops for the price of one and sell them both. So that you know happened quite a bit for several years. And I think as Amazon got good at catching it, as some of the other first targets got good at catching it, these refunders realized this is very lucrative. We just need to move on to other targets. And that's what's happened over the last two and a half years. And to be fair, even though Brett was talking about it, when I started to have merchants reach out to me last year, I think it was actually like around holiday season of 2019 and then into January and February of 2020. And several of them, you know, large names would say, hey, is anyone else seeing an increase in INRs? inventory not received claims. Is there something going on? Are the carriers not doing a good job? Are warehouses messing up? Is there what's going on? And I didn't put two and two together until a little later on because I had so many merchants, retailers specifically reaching out about that. I said, let's just all get on a phone call and talk about it. And my plan was just to have it be a one-time thing where people could just connect with each other and talk about it. And I won't forget the date because it was the first day that Seattle was under lockdown for COVID. It was March 18th, 2020. We had our first call and pretty much everyone was trying to diagnose it. And it was like, there's definitely some similarities and some commonalities here across various retailers, but what's happening? Like we can't really get it. And I just wasn't putting two and two together from three years ago when Brett would talk about this. And he talked about it on a couple other of our online podcasts. I think it was called the podcast with a conversation with Jay in quotation marks, J-A-Y. And it was episode 46 or episode nine of season two that was released April 2nd, 2020. I will put a link of that into the show notes, or if you still subscribe, you can look it up in your library if you're interested in hearing it. But Brett had secured an interview with a low-level fraudster who had contacted him because he wanted to come clean. Now we don't have any idea if that's what happened my gut says probably not because he dropped off the planet but he very much consented to the podcast but then once it came out Brett couldn't get a hold of him again but I really appreciated his time on it and all of his open and honesty and I think Brett also recorded a podcast for anglerfish for his own podcast too so I think the guy did two different ones like on anglerfish he talked about his life story and how he got into crime and why he wanted out and then on ours he talked more about the different methods he used. And a lot of them were in person at retailers, et cetera, but also he mentioned refunding. And we just happened to be recording that podcast episode the day after I hosted the first merchant collaboration call on this topic. And When he mentioned, oh, I'm getting a lot through refunding. I'm like, wait, what are you doing? And he was actually hiring someone else to do all the work. So he didn't know the details well. And so if you do listen to that podcast episode, don't, don't assume that's always how it works because I think he was a little confused on exactly what was happening. But still, I kind of had this huge light bulb moment. Wait a second. That's exactly what we were talking about. So I sent this big, long email, this manifesto of like, guys, I cracked the case. And then I sent some spreadsheets that I had found very easily online of lists of different stores that refunders were often offering their services to. So this is something I wrote uh, pretty lengthy article on cardnotpresent.com last year about, but essentially I'm calling it fraud as a service or refunding as a service. It really makes the barrier of entry almost none. If I wanted to order something expensive online, but I didn't, but I wanted to get it for free, All I would have to do is order it online, sometimes with my own information, sometimes with a new account, sometimes on a prepaid card or a debit card. It just really varies on some of those details. But I would do that with usually with my own information or legitimate information. And then but. I should say, usually because once you start catching on to that, they obviously move on to other escalated tactics, but this is just a basic level. So I order the item, it comes to my house, and once I receive it, I fill out a form for a professional refunder. And oftentimes I've already checked, and this is very hypothetical, just in case you're you know, not sure. If there's any doubt at all, this is super hypothetical. <laughs> but uh, chances are I would have already looked up a trusted refunders list of what stores they offer refunds to and what up to what amount. And then if there's any notes, like all your items must come in one box or a sign with a fake name, or there's just different specific notes that some of them will leave for instructions on how to place the order. I'd fill out this form with all the information about my order and the refunder or their team actually does the work. So they're either calling customer service or they're in contacting them via chat or online in some way or through the account. There's just various ways that they're doing it to request a refund. Sometimes they're saying the item was never received. Other times they're saying it was damaged. Other times they'll create a shipping label and return the item, but the box is empty or it's full of piñata candy or little green army men or a can of peas like i have heard so many different funny things that they're called professional boxers but these boxing services that send boxes back to warehouses they'll put things in it the trick on that is that they know that a lot of warehouses are behind non-processing refunds especially because this is becoming such a big problem So they'll call customer service the day the tracking number shows that it was received and say, hey, I really need my money. My item is at your warehouse. What more do you need from me? And from a customer service perspective, okay, I verified that the tracking number went to your warehouse. I will give you your money back. Then a few days later, when the warehouse opens the package, it is not what is inside is not what was ordered. So now the merchant is out the full cost of the item and the cost of the transaction. Very similarly to chargebacks, except there's not a chargeback list, so you can't just download the de- the chargeback report and say, "Okay, these were fraud," or at least have a head start. This is how that process works and you can tell that it makes it easy for almost anyone to do. So in a way, you're competing against yourselves while well, you're competing against the fraudsters for your customer's attention and if the customer chooses you, they're out the money, but they get the product. If they choose to go the refund route, they keep the money and they keep the product. And it's just, it's hard to, hard to know because it's hiding in plain sight. It's also just getting a lot worse. It's growing super quickly. So I think it was Forder that did a study that said that refunds went up 33% last year. And I'm not saying all of that was fraud. And there obviously were issues, especially towards the beginning of COVID here in the U.S. and I know in other countries as well with shipping delays and, and other issues. Some of that is legitimate, but I'd be willing to bet a lot of it is not. And there's one large retailer here in the U.S. who confided in me that they just there did not receive claims went up 39 percent year over year. And that was in count. And then in dollars, it went up like 20%. So that was interesting to me that the dollars didn't go up as much as the count. But that can also be explained when deep diving into the data. That's just not something I can share. You know, another thing, and I think I mentioned this on another call, but there are two reasons why I'm expecting refund fraud to grow even more in the next few months. And that is that the extra money um, on unemployment here in the U.S., ends september 6th and the reason why that's important is because a lot of lower level fraudsters but very smart people and they really love to figure out how to game the system essentially they have taken a break from refund fraud to jump over to unemployment fraud because they're not having to fence an item they're just getting money and Unfortunately, unemployment fraud is something that was difficult for each state or many of the states to prevent. I think I've mentioned on a previous podcast that I worked with one of those states formally and talked to several of them when it was first starting. I do have a few emails from some states that got hit really hard that were telling me they didn't have a problem. That is... frustrating to say the least. But anyway, so a lot of these people took a break from refund fraud to go over to unemployment and get as much money as they could. It's that extra, I think it's $300 now a week. It used to be four goes away. I don't think there's going to be much of an incentive to commit unemployment fraud. I think for some of the states that pay out a decent amount, there still will be some, but I think the just the volume will go down in unemployment fraud, but go up in e-commerce refund fraud. some other of the kind of, I don't want to say lower level, but it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Cause these aren't the most sophisticated, but they are, they do blend in really well. You know, a lot of them are easy to do. And so they'll move to refund fraud or another type of fraud, but That's something I'm worried about. I'm also worried about the holidays. I'm always worried about holiday season because it's essentially like trying to find a needle in a stack of needles. Maybe it's a gold needle in a stack of silver needles, but still it's very challenging. And so it's only going to get worse, especially as there are economic issues. And the countries that are getting hit hardest with refund fraud right now are the US and the UK, but I know it's happening in Australia and in other areas as well. The other thing is it's impossible to identify refund fraud the same way we identify credit card fraud. And let's be honest, one of the reasons why refund fraud has grown so much is because we're really good at catching credit card fraud overall on a whole. I mean, obviously, everyone's on a spectrum, right? So there are some companies that are still working on it or some companies that don't know what to do or whatever. But for the most part, and not all technology is great and not all technology works for you know all merchants, but overall, if you look at us as a whole in the industry, we've gotten much better at it. There is a lot more sophisticated technology than we had even five, 10 years ago. And so that makes it Detour the fraudsters from having to secure a stolen credit card and come up with a drop address and sometimes have to come up with a drop address for this, but not as often and go through all the rigmarole and hope that they don't trigger a transaction review analysis and canceling the order. It, that's gotten more challenging. So I've seen several posts in criminal forums that say something around you know the lines of carding is dead, return uh, refund is the new future. That's something that you need to be aware of, especially if you work for a retailer or a food delivery company, but they're it's easier for them right now. And my goal is to help you guys make it harder, but we'll get to that down the line. So i uh, make it harder for them. Let's put it that way. So those are some of the reasons why it's hard to hard to identify it. There's really a low barrier to entry for this. Like I said, I mean, anyone can hire someone else to do the refund for them. And then over time, they start to pick up on methods and and how to do it themselves. There's a lot of training and services for this. There are PDFs of training books that get handed out. There are online training courses for this. There are so many forums out in the open, especially on uh, some private messaging apps, like Telegram, Discord, Reddit, any of the social media channels. There. are Sharing information with each other in real time. I just looked up one Reddit thread this morning and it was just like, hey, how do I attack XYZ retailer? And then someone responds right away. Oh, do this method. Oh, do that method, whatever it is. Other people are posting full screenshots of everything they got, including the order number, which is inconvenient for them. I've already sent that screenshot to (laughs) the company that it was for. But that's part of the problem of me looking at all these is I really have a hard time When I'm looking at these refund forums and I know someone in the fraud department of a company that they're talking about, it's impossible. It's like me, I don't know, having a medical degree or being in the medical field and seeing someone have a medical crisis. Like I just can't walk away. It's not as life-threatening or as serious. So I end up then getting sidetracked by sending all these notes and like explaining where I found it and saying, hey, I'm not this isn't me trying to extort you or anything. I just want you to know about it. Then I get down these rabbit holes. But anyway, speaking of rabbit holes, let's move on. I think that I've covered how I got involved as well as what why this is such a problem. When it comes to trying to solve it, we're trained to spot fraud. And I think there are a lot of people who have been able to dig into the data and start to follow the leads. But then it gets really challenging because The hardest part is, especially if you want to have some kind of a solution, I'm just going to use myself as an example. If you want to bring in a consultant that has a lot of information on this, both on the criminal side, as well as on the merchant side, I forgot to finish the story, but we've been having that biweekly retailer call for the last year and a half. And I have learned so much about how it impacts the retailer side, what works, what doesn't work. I've provided, hey, what if you tried this and then people have and it's worked or another merchant says, hey, we looked at this and this and then we made this decision and it has reduced our you know, claims by X. And then I start to see posts in the forum about, hey, don't bother with them because they're catching on, which is the best thing. And I always, if I send it to a merchant, I just sent one today to one, I say something around the lines of print it, frame it and brag to your boss about it. Those are the best ones to find. You gotta diagnose the problem first and then find a solution. So if you wanna bring in a consultant or if there were technology, which more on that later, You need to be able to quantify the impact to leadership in order to get the resources to tackle it, whether that's in the human form to add people to your team, whether that's bringing in a consultant or adding technology. And this is a hard thing. It's hard to know exactly how they're hitting you and where it's at. And so that's something that I've really learned over the last year and a half and think that that's really the first step before you can put in a solution, right? If you can't go to your bosses or your boss's boss and say, Hey, this problem is costing us X. And if we're put Y in, we're going to save Z or whatever it is. And so that's really where I think people need to start is understanding the problem and then diagnosing it within your company and coming up a quantifiable way to have impact it. It won't be a hundred percent accurate, but it will be as close as you possibly can. And then you move on to solutions. I've had a lot of people ask me if there's a technology that you know can be implemented on this. And what I can say is that there are two to three that I am familiar with that are quickly being developed and that I think have really, you know, a lot of promise. I've talked to several others, but I just don't feel like they fully understand the problem. And to be truthful, and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, and I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but there have been a handful of credit card fraud solutions who have quickly added a a product or a solution into their suite of products to address refund fraud. The problem is, that a lot of them don't understand the problem they think it's a refund abuse problem one of the most common things is to think that the same person committing refund fraud over and over again on the same account and that's just not true yes you will probably have those people who are you know frequent flyers as some merchants call them who often will if you sell clothing will wear it and return it or constantly will say, Oh, it didn't come. There's a pet online pet food store that said they had somebody who claimed they never got their hamster bedding every two months and got a refund. And then they were like, wow, this is really concerning that you're, this isn't happening and that you're only ordering every two months. And those people exist. But in talking with one large merchant that piloted one of those programs, they said that it really only reduced the impact by like less than 10%. A lot of these people who are hiring refunders or who are professional refunders, they talk about the importance of getting a fresh account. That makes it very challenging, especially if the payment method is valid, right? And it is registered to the person's name. There's not a lot. You know, you can't catch it on the upfront. You can't catch a specific transaction in the upfront. It's similar to friendly fraud in that way. Where with friendly fraud, if you want to reduce it, you need to look at the patterns of behavior and stop that more generally at the beginning of the flow and then or the funnel. You can't say this specific customer is going to call in 30 days and say they didn't like it or they're going to call their bank in two weeks and say they didn't get it or they're going to call our customer service and say it arrived you know, damaged. You just you can't know that on a specific transactional basis if you could i would have been screaming that from the rooftops last year i have thought about this eight ways to sunday and then some and so anyway i just would tell you to use caution maybe perform a poc or at least try to figure out what the root causes and what the behavior actually is that you're trying to stop because if you add a solution if you tell your leadership hey don't worry there's yeah i know we have an uptick in refund fraud but if our solution provider has a solution and then it doesn't really impact your metrics and your losses and i'm worried that your you know leadership's going to lose faith in you or the next time you say okay that one didn't work but now this one will it's going to be a harder ask and so just to use caution make sure that the people that you're working with really understand the various the five different ways of refund fraud Like I said, there are two to three that I'm talking with now that I think are really promising and they have different approaches. I'll uh, be making a decision in the next couple of weeks if I'm going to only work with one or choose two, but that's, I am encouraged by that and the level of technology and expertise and really being able to find people that knew almost as much about this problem as me was fun conversations, but we can't just rely on technology to just instantly fix it that's not how it works if you've been around in fraud prevention for a long time like i have it took years and years to get to the point where we're at with identifying credit card fraud i'm really hopeful that's not going to be the case for refund fraud but we just plug in a solution and expect it to solve all your problems but what you can do is by learning how they're attacking you Either, you know, through a combination I recommend of reading the forums or having someone else tell you from the forums what's being said, as well as looking at your data and your metrics, then you can really understand both what they're doing and then how much it's impacting your company. And that's going to give you the ability to implement some process and policy changes to be able to determine how to stop this behavior, it's not as simple as just not allowing anyone to claim inventory not received anymore. It's not as simple as marking people on your negative list every time they claim that something didn't come, which I heard one consultant was suggesting. I also heard someone uh, suggest that you should just offer a bounty to all customer service agents when they catch someone that's committing a refund fraud and offer them money or prizes, et cetera, when they find one. And I wish, I think that could be one very small part, but you would need to put some serious parameters on that because I can see that being abused so quickly by your customer service staff. Maybe they have their friends do it. I can see them saying, Oh, this one's fraud and that one's fraud and that one's fraud and that one's fraud. And then it impacts your customer experience because chances are there were people who legitimately didn't get their package or it's was left at a fulfillment center was left at a transfer station or lost off of a truck or whatever the issue was. So it, you can't just do one blanket solution. I, I wish it were that easy, but you can Say, okay, they're getting us here. They're getting us there. Okay, we can put this in place. We can put that in place, et cetera. And I have worked with enough companies and seen enough things work to feel pretty confident that I have some really good solutions on that. I'm making that I'm doing my best not to make this a commercial but I'm not going to share all the all of the ways to prevent it right now a because it's public and I can't guarantee that people who are committing refund fraud aren't listening to this so if I give all of you guys the re- the ways to do it we lose our advantage but also that's why I created this refund workshop that I'm working on it launches on September 9th I'm going to put the information into Uh, the show notes. So you can just, you know, click on the link and look at the information to register. But I realized that after going through a few proposal exercises with some retailers that it's almost impossible for me to consult on this topic before merchants really have a handle on what's happening and what the impact is. And also I realized that not every company can afford to hire a consultant and bring them in. And so I've always had a heart for training and education. I've created several trainings in my past life and also for one-on-one clients, private trainings on chargebacks and on refunds as well. And so I decided why not make this open to all merchants and merchant facilitators. And uh, really those are the three modules that I just walked through. So the first module is understanding the problem. How are they attacking retailers and delivery companies at large? And then how are they, how can you determine a uh, what you're experiencing and then the second one is really getting your arms around the impact to your company how is that impacting you what are those signals that tell you oh okay we have this kind of problem and that kind of problem and then how do you really relay that information up and out to other you know uh, teams because you're gonna need customer service in the warehouse to help you not only understand the problem and get some data and figures around it but also in the prevention piece But also to your leadership so they understand. There are a few retailers that have executives that are really interested in this. And I think that's great. But some you have to get them interested. You have to tell them more. Those are the first two. And then the last one is I'm basically just going to release a plethora of different options of how to reduce this. And some of these ideas have come actually from the refund forums it's really fun when they're like, oh, my gosh, this company changed this and now I can't do that. Or is anyone else having this problem? Or I just had to tell the customer service that I had to call them back and tell them, oh, I did get the package because they won't give me a refund. And I don't want to be stuck with this thing if I have to pay for it. Those are really fun. Almost as fun as don't hit this company anymore because they're keen to us. And so <laughs> I've learned a lot from those as well as, like I said, working with this group of merchants and other companies too and really sharing information that way. And then I think my favorite part about this workshop is that we're gonna have the opportunity for everyone on it to get to know each other. And there's already some really big retailers that are involved in it and they've already signed up. And it's just a great way to collaborate and work with each other. And I'm working on having a chat function, a very private chat function, so you can talk with each other throughout the week. And I'm just big on building community. So while I will have a lot of content and slides and information, That will be available in recording for registered attendees for up to a month, I believe. You'll also be learning from your peers and getting to meet other people, mostly U.S. because of the timing. It'll be from 9 a.m. Pacific to 11 a.m. Pacific. So that's 12 to 2 Eastern. And depending on where you are internationally, you may be able to stay up. Um, late, and I would love that. But this is just the first time it will be the only one I do in 2021. And then we'll see how it goes if I offer it again. But I uh, am really excited about this, and I'm literally just dumping everything I know in a really easy to follow way. But I'm um, wanting to give you guys all the resources. It does very little good if I know some solutions and I don't share it with you. But at the same time, I'm running a business, and also I need to be careful where I share it. One more thing, this workshop is limited to merchants and payment facilitators. If you are a solution provider who is very interested in this problem, you can contact me through my assistant at info at chargelyticsconsulting.com. And we can talk about possibly doing a private training for your team with similar information that I provide the merchants. But I want this, A, I want this to be an environment where merchants really feel open, where they can share their issues with each other. And that's just not something they feel comfortable doing when they're maybe mixed company with other motives or intentions for being there. But also I've worked really hard on getting all this information. And so if you're interested in product development conversations, if you're wanting to understand how your company can help solve this problem, that's a conversation I'm willing to have separately as well, but it's just, this workshop is not for that. So I never like to exclude anyone, but that's where we're at now. I I do want to have it be a conducive education opportunity for e-commerce merchants and really get their money's worth out of it. And I always, uh, you know, up for having conversations about providing private training or product development conversations privately and in a separate engagement. One more thing about the workshop. I'm not trying to make this a commercial, like I said, but this is just something that a lot of people have been asking for. And so I want to make sure I give you this information. It was also important to me that I make the price accessible. I know that every company has a little bit different rules around when you have approval through procurement, et cetera. But I also just know Budgets are tight, even for the big brands. The flat price for the training is 575 and it includes 575 US. And it includes the four weeks of two hours each week of training in September, as well as several handouts and worksheets and the community and all of that. And then I also have a VIP program for 875 USD where you will get the workshop and all of the above. In addition, you will also be able to schedule 90 minutes of a private consulting time with me to really go over your company strategy or what's going on or provide any extra information. There may be a couple other bonuses that I'm working on, but I don't want to you know let that out yet, but uh, registration is open now at the time of this recording. So I just want to make sure you guys were all aware. I think it's, it's really important to know. It's not just people claiming that inventory wasn't received. There's several other ways. And honestly, like the fact that they can collaborate so well, and the fact that they're doing it on these forums is a whole other conversation. There's good and bad on that, but they no longer need a tour browser. They no longer, there's just not that fear that, oh I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm not going to go there. It's, it's literally an app. I've got several downloaded on my phone, which It's really annoying when it's like the constant when I have my phone on vibrate and every time I'm like, oh, there's still a refund problem. Oh, you know, it's really hard to watch. But at the same time, it's important for me to be aware of what's going on and uh, help people where I can. But I think that the fact that they can talk with each other and they can educate each other and they can provide online trainings and courses, et cetera, we need to be doing the same thing. So that is my reason for doing this. I am really excited about it too, guys. I've been wanting to offer uh training through my business for a few years now, and I've gotten stuck in my head. It's hard. I know so much about fraud, but I don't know a lot about like setting up a business and the training and the technology and all of the things that has to go into creating this. But this problem is just so bad. So per Uh, Pervasive is the word I was looking for. I almost said persuasive, but it's so pervasive that I have to provide this information and it's needed. And so I do hope that you can register. I believe I am going to be limiting registration. If we have overwhelming interest, I may offer, you know, two different times during the week. I I don't know. Some of this is going to be game day decisions based on the interest. But this is something that I am very proud of that I've been working really hard on and I'm really excited to offer it to you. I hope you also just learned a lot today that this wasn't just a plug for my workshop. This is something that I feel like it's the third type of fraud if you're gonna make them in huge buckets. So there's credit card fraud, there's friendly fraud, first party fraud is more preferred in my mind, whether it's through chargebacks or others. And every company defines friendly fraud different, but I remember when that came around and I really was on the forefront of helping several companies get ahead of that as well. And so I really enjoy a new challenge. And then this third one is refund fraud. I think that, you know, some specific companies have other types of fraud. But if you're really just looking at the three biggest buckets, I feel like refund fraud is on the same list as credit card fraud. Account takeover also gets in there, but I think it's mixed with carding because at the end of the day, oftentimes they're stealing a payment method. I guess if we were to create a fourth bucket that impacts a lot of different types of companies, it may be loyalty or promo code abuse, which is a topic that I will be discussing soon. Please let me know if you have any specific questions on that or hope that I talk about something specific on that. But I know that that is quickly becoming an issue as well. And part of the problem is these forums that I'm seeing a lot of conversations about that too. I will say as frustrating as it is that they can do this, there is at least one upside as far as the fact that they can that they're using these platforms to have these conversations. And that is that we can listen and we can be flies on the wall. I've created an alias. I don't interact with any of them, but I, you know, read and observe just like probably they read and observe our stuff. It does make it helpful. So with that, I hope that I wasn't too much of a Debbie Downer, but gave you some things to think about. And I look forward to speaking with you again next week.